you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today we're reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Well, it's such a delight to be with you today. Thank you for the, uh, for the privilege of being here. I love my home church, of course, and I'm missing being there. But I always love coming to City on a Hill, so thank you so much for the invitation. I know that uh, you're at the end of a series on prayer, and I'm not sure what you've heard before. So if I say something you've already heard, then please take it as a generous double dose from God. <laughs> I want you to imagine that uh, my, uh, uh, um, there was an elephant in a hot air balloon over Melbourne who unfortunately fell on my house so that it became uninhabitable. I'm sorry to say the elephant was slightly damaged in this exercise. (laughs) And so I was looking for somewhere to live. And you very kindly said, well, why don't you come and live with me for a while till we get the elephant out and start putting your house together? Now, let me warn you, I would arrive with my small dog, Bertie, and uh, a piano and a number of books which I can't live without. So it would be quite an imposition, but I'm sure you'd be gracious. But imagine if I was staying with you and uh, using your bathroom, I hope you don't mind, and uh, enjoying the food and so on, uh, and turning the television on when I wanted to watch something, even though you were trying to watch something else. Uh, And I didn't ever speak to you. You'd regard that as slightly odd behaviour, wouldn't you? You'd probably call a doctor or a minister or a police person to get rid of me because it's really odd behaviour to live in someone's house and not communicate with them, isn't it? It's somehow some, how some teenagers live, I do admit. <laughs> I can remember my three-month sulk as a teenager my mother would say, are you all right, dear? <clears throat> are you feeling ill? <clears throat> Do you want to see a doctor? 
I was a witty conversationalist, even as a young man. But how really odd to live in someone's place and not speak to them. And so it is to live in God's world and not relate to him or speak to him. Now, you may not yet be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're thinking about it, you need to learn about praying, that is, talking to God. If you're just a, a new Christian, just become a Christian, you'll need to learn about talking to God. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, there's still more to learn about talking to God. As it happens, uh, in June this year, I will have been a Christian for 60 years. Uh, we're praising God, let me tell you, uh, because I remember I went home, I was uh, 16 at the time, and I said to my father, I've just become a Christian. He said, you'll grow out of it. More non-Christian family. Well, he's dead and I'm still a Christian. <laughs> but I'm still learning more and more about how to pray. Because the Christian life is a lifelong journey of learning more and more about God and feeling his love and compassion and kindness more and more and seeing how he answers long-term prayers and seeing how he answers big prayers as well as little prayers. It's also a journey of seeing how God is working for good, even in what I regarded as difficult times or bad times. So life with God gets better and better, let me tell you. And part of that is learning more and more how to relate to God, how to talk to God, and also, of course, how to hear his words in the Bible. So I hope this sermon, I know you've had a series, will be useful for you as a person I hope it'll be useful for you uh, if you're a member of your gospel community, and I hope it'll be helpful for this church as well. Well, you might notice that Jesus' uh, teaching on prayer begins with a couple of negatives. He's saying there are some common practices around in praying which are unhelpful. Please stop them. Now, they may not be things that we do today, but it's worth registering that there are ways of praying which are unhelpful. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Well, I, I don't see many Christians praying at the street corners and making a big fuss about it uh, in order to impress people. In fact, you're likely to get some rude comments if you did it rather than impressing people. But the point is, if you're praying in order to impress other people, as Jesus says, you have your reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And here's the wonderful promise. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our prayers are rewarded. Second bad practice, which was around in Jesus' day, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, they'll think they'll be heard for their many words. So don't pray on and on and on and on, thinking that you need to kind of 
convince God that you're serious by praying for a long time or that uh, sheer length of prayer is a, a way of attracting God's attention. No, no, uh, don't be like them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, it's worth wondering for a moment, what are the unhelpful practices which are around today? Not, not the same as in Jesus' day, I think. Uh, I think one is to be, as, to regard prayer as an entirely private matter and to pray just for our personal needs. Another is to not risk disappointment by praying for small things rather than big things. So you have, uh, as I do, uh, relatives who aren't Christians. Well, you might pray that George will get through his exams, but not pray the big prayer, the biggest prayer you can pray, that George will become a Christian. Or it might be that you regard prayer is a useless thing to do. I often hear people say, well, I felt so helpless. All I could do was pray. As if praying is a useless activity, whereas doing something practical is useful. Well, doing something practical is great. If someone's ill, give them chicken soup. That was my mother's policy anyway. Chicken soup solved most problems. But actually, as we've just read, uh, our Father rewards our prayers. That is, he answers them. Praying is the most practical thing we can do, as a matter of fact. Then Jesus gives the disciples the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. I don't know if you've uh, read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, but it's full of teaching about what the Father of Jesus and the Father of the disciples and the Father of all believers is like. You've heard that it was said, Matthew 5, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your Love your enemy. Uh, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and in the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So what is the Father like? Generous to everybody. You don't find that it rains over one house and not the other, do you? No, God is constantly generous to everybody. That's what our Father is like. That's what we should be like. And we should uh, remember the generosity of God, the, the universal generosity of God when we're praying. God is a God who loves to give. He's a self-giving God. He's a giving God who loves to give. Not a stingy God 
but a generous God. Or, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Or again, as we've seen in regard to prayer, when you pray, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's rewarding them again. And the Father rewards us for our fasting. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it won't be obvious to others what you're doing, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, this Father is such a generous God, isn't he? He's generous to those who seek him. He's generous to those who don't seek him. And another one, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? I love that line. When I'm feeling miserable and out of sorts, I look in the mirror and say, are you not worth more than many birds? It may seem a strange thing to say to yourself, but occasionally I need it. I need to know that God loves me. So what do we find about the Father in the Sermon on the Mount? Our Father is a generous God who loves giving to everybody whether they deserve it or not. Our Father is a, is a gracious Father who loves to reward his people when they come to him when they pray. And God, our Father, is a gracious Father who knows what we need and values us. And it's, of course, our Father in heaven, so not a powerless Father, but the most powerful Father. We all want someone, don't we, to solve our problems for us. We all want a kind of father who'll come into our lives and sort things out for us, particularly, I find, when I have a plumbing problem. Or, as last Wednesday, I was uh, driving to speak at a church, and there was this funny, crunchy noise from under my car, as the, it's called a trim, I believe, over one of the wheels had kind of got loose and was dragging along the ground and so forth. And I just wished I had a father around to fix it. Someone who knew what to do. Someone who had the power and the wisdom and the patience to deal with it. Well, fortunately, somebody at the church did. <laughs> and uh, the piece of string he used lasted till I got home. But we, have, we all have a father in heaven. Every follower of Jesus has a father in heaven, our father in heaven. Now, in the uh, Bible reading we had earlier on, the next phrase in the prayer is, hallowed be your name. Now, it's pretty hard to understand what that means. Uh, we don't use the word hallow except in Halloween and here in the Lord's Prayer. So the mind boggles about what hallow means. But hallow means to make holy or to sanctify. And we do have a, a, record, a record of the kind of prayers that Jews in the first century prayed 
they prayed every day the 18 benedictions. So here are the prayers that Jesus would have prayed every day as a good Jew, and here are prayers that his disciples would have prayed every day as good Jews. Listen to the reference to God's name. Uh, In love bring a redeemer for God's name's sake. We will sanctify your name in this world, just as it is sanctified or made holy in the highest heavens. You are holy, your name is holy, and holy beings praise you daily. Or a prayer, redeem us speedily for your name's sake, or grant a good reward to those who truly trust in your name. Or again, the last one, for these acts may your name be blessed and exalted continually, O our King, forever and ever. Let every living thing give thanks to you and praise your name in truth. Well, what is this name? The name of God is the revelation of God. We read this in the Old Testament, God's identity and promise, Exodus 3. Uh, Moses said uh, to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Then God's name is also his self-revelation and his plan. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there before Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, that is, I am who I am. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, I am, I am, the gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So, God's identity and promise, God's self-revelation and plan, God's reputation and honor. God says to King Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go that they may worship me. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up, Pharaoh that is, for this very purpose, that I might show my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And God's name also means his presence and his glory. You are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for a dwelling. To that place you must go. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and rejoice in everything you put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. So God's name is his identity and promise, his self-revelation and plan, his reputation and honor, his presence and his glory. God's name is his identity and promise, his self-revelation and plan, his reputation and honor, his presence and his glory. And how does God make his name holy? By acts of judgment and acts of mercy. Judgment on Moses. The Lord said to Moses, because you do not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, 
you will not bring this community into the land I give them. But also by limiting the damage done by the sin of his people, Ezekiel 20. I said I pour my wrath on the idols of Egypt and spent my anger against them, but for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I'd revealed myself to the Israelites. Or indeed in rescuing his people from Israel, God says, I'll make my holy name among my I'll make known my holy name among the Israel, people of Israel. I'll no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. And why does God do it? To show his compassion. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, have compassion on the people of Israel. I'll be zealous for his holy name. Or again... I'm doing these things, people of Israel, rescuing them. I'm doing them for the sake of my holy name. I'll show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. So, the name of God is the reputation, the glory, the honor, the presence of God, and God makes his name holy by acting in mercy and in judgment and by revealing himself to all the nations. What a massive prayer it is to pray to God, make your name holy. It's to say to God, do whatever you need to do in judgment or in mercy to reveal yourself to the whole world. It is a massive prayer. Bring your kingdom. Matthew 4:17 Jesus said, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come." 16:28 You'll see the son of man coming in his kingdom. 2 Peter 1.11, you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our God and Saviour Jesus. Ephesians 5.5, we read of the kingdom of God and of Christ. And Revelation 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. So when we're praying, sanctify your name, make your name holy, we're saying, do this by bringing your kingdom, your kingdom and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And what will the result be if God sanctifies his name and brings his kingdom? Then his will will be done on earth as in heaven. The will of God, let's think about that in Matthew 26. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This is Jesus facing his death. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Or again he prays, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So the will of God is not just God's will for you and what might happen to you in your life. No, God's will is his saving plan for the world. We see this uh, very clearly in uh, 
Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians in chapter 1, where Paul blesses God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We read in verse 8, he uh, lavished uh, his forgiveness on us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So it is his saving will, you see. Or verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So to pray your will be done is not just I want to do your will, though I hope you do want to do the Father's will. It's not just please help me to know what your will is and I will do it, though I hope he does make his will known to you and you know what to do, you know how to serve him because you read the scriptures. The instructions are very clear on page after page. But, the prayer, but, 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 but in the Lord's Prayer, it's a massive prayer to pray, isn't it? Uh, make your name holy, bring your kingdom, do your will on earth as in heaven. Now, I love God because God answers little prayers. Have I lost my car keys again? Yes, I have. Have I forgotten somebody's name whom I know really well? Yes, I have. Please, God, help. Help now. And usually he does, though occasionally he delays just to teach me patience and humility, I think. So God, God loves answering the smallest prayer. And if you're teaching your children to pray, uh, let them pray the smallest prayer they want to pray. And that's good. That's really good. But remember to pray massive prayers as well. For this is about God's big agenda, not just for you and this church, not just for the West, Western society or for Australia or for the world at the present time. It's a massive prayer about the universe. It's about God's agenda, God's plan, God's priorities, God's will, God desire, God's desires. And please notice the order of the prayer. We pray about God's plan before we pray about our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So may our deepest desire and greatest desire be that God is revealed, God is known, God is trusted, and God's will is done. Well, I think we can all learn something from that. Because often we um, are a bit too self-centered in our prayers. And often we're content to pray for small things like car keys and forget to pray for big, pray the big prayers. Uh, do you ever pray this prayer, sanctify your name, bring your kingdom, your will be done in your daily prayers? I hope you do. Do you pray these big prayers in your community uh, groups, gospel community groups? I hope you do. Do you pray these big prayers 
when you meet on Sundays. I hope you do. And then prayers for ourselves. These are more manageable. Okay. Give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever prayed that prayer outside the Lord's Prayer? I'm sure you thank God for your daily food. Quite right too. But we in the West, we in the wealthy West, tend not to pray, give us this day our daily bread, because we don't need to pray it, because our cupboards are full and our shops are full and we've got plenty of money. How foolish we are because everything we have comes from God. The air we breathe is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. The power to digest is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. The power to sleep is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. The power to stay awake, which I hope you're using at present, is also a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. The functioning of your brain is the gift of a loving Heavenly Father. The functioning of your nervous system is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. And a glass of water is a gift of a loving Heavenly Father. And so is all the food you eat. It's a matter of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency that we fail to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And it might be a good thing, actually, if God sent a famine to Australia, if only to teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because there are millions of our fellow believers around the world who pray every day, give us this day our daily bread, because they need to pray it. We need to pray it too. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There are three prayers. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And uh, deliver us from evil. Well, it's uh, really interesting, I think, that here Jesus uses the words debts for sins. We often think of a sin as something we have done wrong. I was walking along the street, I saw an old lady I didn't like, so I pushed her over. That's a wrong thing to do. I must not do that. I have to remember that. I have to think of that every morning. Uh, when I'm walking my dog, Bertie, I, I must not encourage Bertie to attack uh, the big dogs around him, lest he kill them. Bertie is about that big, I might say, but... We think of sins, we'd, I, I constantly think of things I've done wrong, but actually there are things, that, that, that sins are also things that we fail to do. We don't notice those, do we? We notice the things we've done wrong. We don't notice the things we've failed to do. A debt is something you owe which you haven't paid. Well, when other people owe us, we want to be paid, don't we? If you owe me respect, you have to give it to me. 
If, if, you, if you owe me recognition, you have to give it to me. If you owe me affection, then I, w I really want it. If, if, I, if, if you owe me noticing me, then I want it, don't I? And if, if you owe me some money because you've employed me, then I want it. We're very aware of what other people owe us, but less aware of what we owe other people and what we owe God. And we often think we're sinless because we can't think of things, can't think of anything we've done wrong, but we fail to think of the good that we have not done. Have you loved God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? You owe God love, and you owe love to your neighbors as well. And Jesus warns us that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us because one of the consequences of being forgiven debts is that we don't hold others to the debts they owe us. And some of the saddest people I meet are old people who are angry about debts unpaid to them and lack forgiveness for those who haven't done what the person thinks they ought to have done. And I've met, uh, when I've visited old uh, people's homes, I've met people who say to me, you know, I, I haven't spoken to my sister for 30 years because of what she did or didn't do. They're consumed by unforgiveness. Well, it's damaged the family, no doubt, but it's damaged the person, hasn't it? And when you're old, it's pretty hard to change your tune. Ask any canary. Do you ever pray this prayer? Do you confess your sins at the end of the day, or do you lead a perfect life? Do you confess your sins as a church, or are you a perfect church? Lead us not into temptation, a trial that is too much for us. We read about those trials and temptations in Matthew 26 and Matthew 23. Jesus says in Matthew 26, You'll all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then he says... Uh, you pray, you watch and pray with me, he says to the disciples, and they fall asleep. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I remember when I was a young Christian, I thought that every keen Christian had to get up at three in the morning to pray, so I'd set my alarm clock, get out of bed, kneel down, fall asleep, and wake up four hours later with a stiff neck and a guilty conscience. Easier to sleep than to pray. But the disciples, of course, are facing not just the ordinary temptations of life, but also the massive temptation of the last days. Jesus said in Matthew 24, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and lead many astray. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
You'll not be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is not yet. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one endures to the end will be saved. We might rightly pray, lead us not into temptation or trial that is too much for us. Now, the common translation of the last petition, the last request is, uh, deliver us from evil. But I think in Matthew's Gospel, the word is used in Matthew 13, verses 19 and 39, not just deliver us from evil, but from the evil one, that is, from Satan. And do you remember the parable of the soils? Remember Jesus saying, well, whenever the word is preached, as it is being now, by the way, Satan's there like a little bird, pecking the seed of the word, so people don't receive it. The Holy Spirit is present this morning, applying God's word to you, but Satan is present also, trying to peck the seed of the word out of your mind, out of your life, out of your memory, and out of your desires. We somehow in the West think we live in a neutral world in which you, well, you, just, you, uh, you, you either kind of don't serve God or you do serve God. But there's no danger in the matter. Well, Jesus says, yes, there is danger. In fact, you should be praying every day, deliver us from the evil one. What does Satan do? He's the father of lies. What does Satan do? He's the great accuser who keeps on telling us that we're unworthy to be followers of Jesus Christ. He's the great accuser who keeps on reminding us of sins which God has already forgiven. And he is the great disturber and splitter of churches. And he's the great accuser of others, and we can join in that accusation. He's the great discourager. And he prowls around, Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you ever pray this prayer? Or do you think you don't need to? Well, Jesus says, you do need to pray this prayer. Why else would he have just taught, taught his disciples to pray it? So three prayers about God's character, will, plan, God being revealed to the nations, and three prayers for us to pray. And we should not just pray this Lord's Prayer in this form, but this prayer should inform all our praying, of course. And the wonderful thing is that this Lord's Prayer taught by Christ is also fulfilled in Christ. How is God's name revealed in Christ? How does God's kingdom come in Christ? How is God's will done by Christ? 
Christ himself is the answer to the Lord's prayer. And he is the one who gives us our daily bread and forgiveness and deliverance. He is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He's the one who died on the cross for our forgiveness and who died on the cross to defeat the power of Satan. The Lord's prayer taught by Christ is fulfilled in Christ. For Jesus is the yes to every promise of God. Well, this prayer is full of requests. But it's not all we need to learn about prayer. In your prayers, don't forget to give thanks, to praise, to lament evil, and to offer yourself to God through Jesus Christ. You may have a regular time of prayer each day. I hope you do, as an individual or as couples or with your, or, and with your family as well. I've been recently recommending uh, that if people travel to get to work, that they pray while traveling. And I met a woman last week, I'd mentioned this to her, and she said she drove an hour to work and an hour home each day, usually listening to the radio. She's now praying for two hours a day. Isn't that wonderful? Now, she doesn't close her eyes when she's praying, I hasten to point out. And if the uh, traffic's particularly dangerous, I suggest you focus on the traffic rather than on uh, praying. But look for times during the day when you're not doing something else, when you're just kind of pondering life, and use that time to pray. And we often pray silently. Uh, I think it's good to pray out loud, not, of course, to show off, but to clarify our minds as to what we're saying to God and that we are speaking to God. Well, what a great prayer to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And what a great prayer to shape our prayers and to shape our lives. Imagine if you lived the Lord's Prayer. Imagine if your greatest passion was that God's global gospel plan be accomplished. If this shaped not only your prayers, but also your life and your giving and your attitude to the whole world, so that you couldn't think about the world without praying that God's name would be revealed, that his kingdom would come, and that his will be done through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great prayer to pray, a great prayer to shape our prayers here when we meet together, when we pray our own daily prayers, and when we pray with other people as well. Confident that all our prayers are answered in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the yes to every promise of God. Now we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together.
I've put the, uh, we've got the version which is in the Bible, so I, I uh, changed the words around a bit, but I hope uh, that you can follow the connection between the words in the prayer and the words I've been saying. Uh, I'd like you to stand, please, uh, as we pray together. Jewish people did not close their eyes when they prayed. Please don't do that. They didn't look down, they looked up and they raised their hands. If you'd like to do that, please do it. This is how Jesus prayed, looking up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.